Hi, I'm Christine. And I'm Alan. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to our discussion this week. Our hope is that we'll share some information that you'll find helpful. So now we invite you to join us as we together listen listen for for the the word. word. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our podcast today. It's great to be with you. Today we are still heading towards Jerusalem, but we're, he- we're coming to an end. And we run across this wonderful story that we all know about Zacchaeus climbing the tree. And I think many of us learned about this as children in a little song. I, I-, I can't remember it well, but I, I do remember it. Um, and-, and even had actions, you know. <laughs> so um, that's where we're headed today. And I'm going to let Alan kind of set it up for us. Thanks, Christy. Our gospel lesson for today moves us toward the conclusion of Jesus' uh, journey to Jerusalem and really, I think, serves as a kind of summary of the message that he has put so much effort into communicating all along the way, and that is that the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost in verse 10. And we're going to see, that's I think that plays a pretty significant role in the flow of Luke's gospel. So at this point of Luke's narrative, uh, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem is almost complete, really. Um, After the parable of the pounds in the next section, Jesus will enter Jerusalem. So we're we're pretty much at the end here. Um, As he was passing through Jericho, likely on his way into Jewish territory after skirting Samaria uh, through the Transjordan region, he encountered a man named Zacchaeus, Luke tells us. And this episode has clear links, I think, with the preceding context in Luke 18. Zacchaeus takes his place along with the widow, uh, a tax, the tax collector, children, and a blind beggar as a person who would have lived on the margins of the community due to his social status. You know, it reminds me here because we obviously looked at the parables of the widow and the tax collector, but we did not, the children and the blind right. beggar were not in the right. lectionary. We, And I think that's probably because um, they're found like in other Gospels like Matthew. Uh, That's probably why. Okay. Okay. Um, So we're told that this this man, Zacchaeus, was not only a tax collector, but that he was a chief tax collector and that he was rich in verse 2. And the Greek word here, architelones, is not found anywhere else in all of Greek literature. Uh, That is is fascinating. So uh, this is not just... Bible. This is like all Greek literature. Right. So it's like he made up a new word. I would say so. I mean, I would say Luke probably coined this term, and it's it's kind of based on some other words that are commonly used. Um, So, for example, um, in the Septuagint, there's a word archistrategos, which is for like a chief commander. Uh, There's the word archisunagogos, which is found in the New Testament which is the ruler of a synagogue. Uh, there is, uh, we find the word architriklinos for head waiter or head butler mm-hmm. in the wedding of Cana. And so I think probably what, what happened was that Luke coined this phrase based on those other uh, similar words using arche, meaning ruler mm-hmm. or chief, mm-hmm. uh, along with the word telones. Interesting, interesting. So how does that translate? That is... Well, given the fact that, that, you know, the compound is arche, which is Greek for ruler, mm-hmm. uh, we might opt for a tax ruler here or a tax, you know, tax chief or a tax, mm-hmm. you know, supervisor, some English versions use. 
Um, the idea is that he was a tax collector who had others working under him. Um, and in, in this time, there were three main taxes collected in Judea. Uh, a land tax, a head tax, which basically everybody paid per year, and then customs and toll taxes, mm-hmm. which were based on uh, transit, basically, and, and trade. And the right to collect taxes, especially the customs and toll taxes, went to the highest bidder, basically. And so this meant that a man like Zacchaeus would have had enough wealth to buy his position, mm-hmm. uh, which allowed he to basically to, make, to put in the highest bid for the position, mm-hmm. which then allowed him and his associates to collect as much tax as they could get away with. And so they, they collected tax on anybody who entered the territory. Right. They collected tax on any goods moving in, in into the territory. And, um, you know, the whole system was ready-made for fraud and contributed to the fact that tax collectors, or perhaps we should say here, toll collectors right were so despised well obviously right you're going to come in and these people are going to demand huge amounts and i i assume they are they're giving some of this back to perhaps the roman government well um, he's he's already paid i mean the, the government yeah. whoever whatever government official has got already it gotten so he's paid already paid so now he's collecting so got it he's oh, okay back. okay yeah. so yeah he's paid that so now he's just going to gather enough to right. make up what he had plus, plus a profit. Every profit and and the the primary way in which um toll collectors could pad their pockets was by how they evaluated the goods that were transported oh, of course and, right and that's and that's a well-known so we say problem of the ancient world, yeah, right? They would yeah. find all kinds of ways to cheat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cheat the person, enhance the right, taxes. Exactly. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, the because of all of this, uh, the general assumption among the crowd of people would have been that the wealth of a man like Zacchaeus was based on an elaborate scheme to cheat his own people out of as much money as mm-hmm. he could get, uh, get out of them. So, you know, he was very much despised and, and looked down upon. So it's, What's really interesting is this guy who is really, really despised and really the opposite of what someone of, of piety and 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 really of of caring for for others is. He's actually interested in Jesus, yeah. which is fascinating. Yeah, at least according to the stereotype, right? That yeah, the right. toll collectors should not have been interested, but. But despite that negative image, um, and this is something we see, this is common in Luke's gospel, toll collectors are uh, do have an interest in Jesus. They're among those who respond positively to Jesus mm-hmm. in Luke's gospel. Mm-hmm. And so Luke tells us that he was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because Jesus was going to pass that way in verses 3 and 4. And so the fact that he was seeking, the word is seeking, not trying. Right. It's the same, it's the same word that we find in, in Luke 19.10, where Jesus says that his mission is to seek and to save the lost. Mm-hmm. So Zacchaeus is seeking Jesus. Right. But Jesus is seeking him, in effect. Right. But, but just, just the very fact that he was willing to climb a tree in order to see Jesus mm-hmm. indicates how eager he was to see him and how interest he was, interested mm-hmm. he was. Because for someone in his position to climb a tree would have been looked down upon by the crowd and would have likely subjected Zacchaeus to ridicule. But Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so he, he, I mean, that was his goal. And right. he, he didn't care about 
what people thought. Right. Interesting. Okay. So, um, I a couple things. I guess a couple things struck me too about the seeking. Just was this this mere stature. I mean, uh, maybe that's just part of the story. But is there some significance that he's a short? I mean, that seems like an unnecessary part of the story in some ways that he just could climb a tree to see him. But he adds this shortened stature. Well, it seems like it. It's meant to explain why he couldn't see Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. um, that may or may not have been the case, um, as we'll see later on. I mean, there is this kind of implication in this section of Luke's travel narrative that there are people who are actively standing in the way of those who are seeking Jesus. Yeah, that's true. Okay. And so, um, the, you know, there may have been some of that going on mm-hmm. here as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, moving on, um, um, what, what, how does, how does Jesus respond? I mean, I think you've pointed out. In, in at least the notes I'm looking at, some some kind of interesting wordplay here. Yeah, so Luke emphasizes that Zacchaeus was trying to see Jesus by the repetition of sight-related words throughout the episode. Um, you know, in 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 the beginning of verse three, he was trying to see who Jesus was. Um, so, and then in verse four, so he he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him. And then in verse 5, Jesus looked up. Uh, In verse 7, all who saw it began to grumble. And then in verse 8, where he speaks about, you know, what he's he's doing uh, for the poor, look. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's a a form of uh, one of the verbs that is connected with sight. Mm -hmm. And so this really emphasizes sight here. And this connects this episode with the healing of the blind man as as Jesus was approaching Jericho. And that's really right before this one, too. So it's not like it's far removed. um, No, it's part of the immediate context Mm -hmm. here. And also, that particular passage follows, directly follows, one of the clearest statements so far in Luke's gospel about the disciples' inability to understand Jesus' mm-hmm. passion prediction and perhaps even his whole ministry. So, and, and to me, I, it calls to mind to me the fact that recovery of sight for the blind was part of Jesus' initial mission announcement mm-hmm. in Nazareth at, in Luke 4.18. Uh, so I don't, whether the crowd was intentionally obstructing Zacchaeus from reaching Jesus because of their judgment of his lack of moral stature is unclear, but it is a possibility implied by the fact that the disciples had recently obstructed the people who were trying to bring even infants to Jesus, mm-hmm. also in Luke 18, which is, again, part of the immediate context mm-hmm. of this it sure is. It sure, It sure is. Yep, this makes sense. So um, Luke continues um, the story about telling Zacchaeus that he has to come down yeah. and that he is going to stay at his house. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. In verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I, I have to be honest. I, I Every time I see that, I think, and I have to run home and clean it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't read that into it. But <laughs> that's what always goes through that. my mind. <laughs> I can understand that. I can understand that. You're probably not alone in that. Oh, my goodness. So, but once again here, we encounter that impersonal Greek verb, die, delta iota epsilon, which suggests that Jesus considered it a part of his mission from God to proclaim and inaugurate the kingdom of God for him to stay at Zacchaeus' house. This is a necessity that is that is placed on him by God, in a sense. 
And so here we learn that Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus all along, mm-hmm. in a sense. I must stay at your house. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, mm-hmm. so um, you know, uh, Luke, Joel Green asked the question, who was seeking whom? You know, Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, but Jesus was, was seeking mm-hmm. Zacchaeus. Mm-hmm. So then Luke tells us that he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. And that's the new RSV translation. And basically, we should note that Zacchaeus responds by obeying Jesus both immediately right. and precisely. Right. Jesus tells Zacchaeus to hurry down, and it's spusas katabethi, which is a form of katabino. Mm-hmm. And Luke tells us that Zacchaeus hurried down, spusas katebe, which is another form of katabino. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so it's, it's just almost an exact correlation there between what Jesus told him to do and what Zacchaeus did. Yeah, yeah. More than that, we, we should note that Jesus says he must stay at Zacchaeus' house, which suggests at least that they would share a uh-huh. meal. Yes. As does the fact that um, Zacchaeus rejoiced to welcome him. And and the verb is hupodekomai, and all four occurrences of that verb in the New Testament are set in the context of extending hospitality mm-hmm. um, or, or providing a meal for someone. But now I think we should also note that not only does Zacchaeus obey Jesus, he welcomed him rejoicing is, a, I think, a better translation mm-hmm. than the new RSV. He was happy to welcome him because it's chiron. It's the verb chiro, which is, is, is a, the verb for rejoicing. Uh, and it indicates I, the fact that, the fact that um, Zacchaeus responds to Jesus with the joy that is the characteristic response of those who embrace the kingdom of God as it was present in Jesus' person and ministry, indicates that his interest in Jesus was real, and he mm-hmm. he, he had a keen interest. He was re- he truly was seeking out Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that's that's like one piece, and then you see this whole Zacchaeus and Jesus thing. We're all really happy, and you realize, oh my gosh, that these um, these people in the crowd are responding differently. Yeah, very differently. Yeah, by contrast, Luke tells us that those present responded by grumbling, basically, and saying he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. And um, this might not seem surprising at first because we've already heard of the Jewish religious leaders grumbling over Jesus' willingness to share meals with those who are considered sinners. But here Luke goes beyond that. It's not just the Torah scholars and the Pharisees who are grumbling, but Luke says all who saw it. Yeah. All who saw the interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus. And again, here we have to be be reminded that the audience for Jesus' ministry throughout the journey to Jerusalem has fluctuated between Jewish religious leaders, crowds, and the disciples. And they're all kind of interwoven Mm -hmm. together. So Luke's use of all here cannot definitively exclude anyone in that group, even the disciples, as disconcerting as that may be. Well, you know, and I think to it, it gives you a sense of to how much this guy is despised. I mean, you. I think there's a sense of pity for some of the people Jesus has right. has um, has healed. You know, the, the the those who are have diseased or those who are blind. I mean, they may have people may believe there's some they there's there. there's yeah people may believe well they've done something bad to deserve this or whatever, but there's still some pity, but not for this guy, no, right, not for this right, guy, right? right. So right. this this is like, really? I mean, they're, they're so they're so horrified by, by him, yeah, you know, right? Yeah. 
And yet, you know, I mean, what we have to remember is that, you know, throughout the travel narrative, even indeed throughout the whole Gospel of Luke, Jesus has gone to great efforts to convey the nature of God's character as mercy that embraces all, oh. especially the outcasts. Mm-hmm. But as uh, Joel Green observes, his message seems thus far to have fallen on universally deaf ears, mm-hmm. and that includes even those of the disciples. Right, right. So if the onlookers missed the point, Zacchaeus did not. Um, Luke tells us, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. That's Luke 19.8 mm-hmm. in the New Revised Standard Version. In the New Revised Standard Version. Now, although I think that many have traditionally understood what follows to have taken place in Zacchaeus' home, it's not clear that the setting has changed. Mm-hmm. In fact, it is like possible and maybe even likely that the dialogue between Zacchaeus and Jesus took place in the full hearing of the crowd. You know, now I have not thought about this. I haven't studied it like that, but that was always my assumption mm-hmm. reading it. So mm-hmm. I don't know if other people have just had that. I'm assuming that it's in front of the cl- crowd. And and I, you know, it, I have this image of Zacchaeus standing up at a table. And I wonder if it's been presented that way in a movie or it's like after they've come home to Zacchaeus's oh. house and shared the meal, you know, after all of this is done, then Zacchaeus stands up and makes this proclamation. Mm. Well, th- th- we don't know that. That's we don't not, that's, know that. that Luke is, doesn't tell us that here. So um, it, it is it is possible and maybe even likely that that the dialogue between Zacchaeus and Jesus is is taking place in public. Mm-hmm. Now, this particular verse, verse eight, has created quite a debate about how to understand what it means. And I just picked up on this. This has made its way into um, kind of popular um, popular ministry, I guess. I mean, if you Google this, you'll find it really fast. Mm-hmm. So just a heads mm-hmm. up that yeah. you want to pay attention to that um, and maybe this discussion in particular. <laughs> and the new RSV reflects the traditional interpretation, which is that in response to Jesus, Zacchaeus repents of his dishonesty by pledging that he will not only give away half of his possessions, but that he also will restore whatever he had defrauded from anyone that is in the future. But the crux of the problem is the tense of the verbs, both of which are pre- present. Didomi, I will give, or I give, and apodidomi, I give back. And while it is possible to translate the verse as the NRSV does, I will give to the poor and I will pay back, and this is a translation that others, many others use, there are also many who argue that the nuance of the present tense is not futuristic, but iterative, indicating that this was his customary practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and this is actually an interpretation that originated in the 19th century with Frederick Godet, who is a French New Testament scholar. And other notable proponents include A.T. Robertson, who probably wrote the most significant American Greek grammar of the New Testament in uh, uh, 1914. And Joseph Fitzmaier in his in his foundational commentary in 1979, and Joel Green in mm-hmm, his more recent mm-hmm. Gospel of Luke commentary. So, if that's the case, and and that the the present tense is not futuristic, but indicating his customary mm-hmm. practice, then Zacchaeus' response is perhaps directed to Jesus, maybe in response to the grumbling of the crowd. Um, 
and there are some details in this episode that argue for this interpretation. You know, we think of this as a conversion episode, but Jesus does not call him to repent. Mm -hmm. And Zacchaeus does not ask for mercy. And Jesus does not use the usual formal, con uh, the usual um, formula for conversion. Right. Your faith has saved you. Uh, furthermore, one is a true son of Abraham. The fact that one is a true son of Abraham is demonstrated by emulating Abraham's right. conduct as well as his faith. So from this perspective, one could say that Zacchaeus was responding against an unfair assessment of his character based on a stereotype of his profession. And you would translate it that, you know, this right. is what I'm doing. I am. I, do. I have been, I am giving mm -hmm. half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have defrauded anybody, I am repaying them back four times over. And so th this is one interpretive option here. Yeah, it, it is. And it's a, it's a really interesting one. It puts a new twist on this. Yeah. And I think it... Um, um, suggests that maybe, I mean, maybe maybe instead of the, we were talking earlier, maybe instead of the Damascus Road type conversion, maybe it's a, a slower, maybe he started to do this earlier in his career, and he's, but no one will take, no one will change how they look at him. No one will right. treat him um, as someone who gives back because all they see is, someone they knew before and so perhaps the the point of the of the story is to uh, a lesson in in too readily judging someone based on mm -hmm. outward appearances mm -hmm. yeah. so misjudging someone in this case that provides a really interesting twist which mm -hmm. is which is cool yeah yeah but this interpretation does run into problems however with jesus replied to zacchaeus today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of abraham and the primary problem here is that for jesus to declare that today salvation has come to this house in response to zacchaeus declaration of his adherence to biblical principles of economic justice would be tantamount to him somehow deserving or earning salvation and uh, francois bovon in his luke commentary in the Hermonia series uh, comprehensively summarizes the case against this view from his perspective hmm. uh, against that view from his perspective that that um, that we should we should stick with the traditional view um, a further question I think would be to ask how Zacchaeus would have become so wealthy if if the kind of generosity indicated by his statement mm -hmm. in Luke 19.8 reflects the pattern of his right. life, that this is something that he's right. been doing all along. How would he have become so wealthy? Right. Now, whether 19.8 indicates that Zacchaeus has been unfairly judged because he has made a genuine effort to practice biblical teachings regarding economic justice and, in fact, was exceeding them, when you look at what the Bible teaches about restitution um, uh, for... for um, um, defrauding someone, he was exceeding that. The idea of uh, uh, paying restitution four times over, that was, that was not the norm for most uh, situations of restitution. And just as an interesting side note, the, the verb in the Greek for um, defraud is, uh, or extort is sycophanteo. <laughs> now, there you go. Oh, interesting. <laughs> We wouldn't, we wouldn't want to link it with our current word sycophant, but it's, you know, it's, it's hmm. an interesting, um, whether it's that or whether the effect, whether, whether we're talking about a story that is the effect of his experience of God's grace in the kingdom as expressed in the person of Jesus. So that has motivated him now to embrace this, uh, pattern of generosity is unclear. And for that reason, I prefer the translation 
Simply, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. And, and that's the approach taken by the Geneva Bible, by the King James Version, by the American Standard Version, by the Revised Standard Version, and then more recently by the English Standard Version and the Common English Bible. And I, you know, in a situation like this where you have two very different interpretations, I really prefer a translation that leaves it open to the reader. And, you know, it, I know that some translations, their various translation strategy is to make it clear what the meaning is. Right, so, right, right. I mean, I'm okay with translations um, that that read in their tran- their interpretation in a situation like this, as long as they put a footnote and right. indicate that there is an alternative translation here that's possible. Right, right. So... Anyway, I think it's important to leave the interpretation open. Mm -hmm. What is clear is that his salvation comes from the kingdom of God as Jesus was proclaiming and inaugurating it in his ministry and message. That Jesus could say, today salvation has come to this house was in response to Zacchaeus' eager and joyful welcome to Jesus as demonstrated by extending him hospitality, by which he showed that he was embracing Jesus' mission and message regarding the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah, and it 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 it's it, it's very clear. Regardless of this, as well, just as you said, this is someone who's outcast in some way, shape, or form, um, that feels excluded from the kingdom. But he becomes, identifies with the kingdom exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what? Um, it, it's still beautiful. Either translation, mm-hmm. either approach has mm-hmm. a really beautiful message. I think. Yes, indeed. Now, although the episode began with Zacchaeus seeking Jesus, we learn in the end that Jesus was the one who was all along seeking Zacchaeus uh, because the conclusion in verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. And in a very real sense, I think this statement serves as a final summation of Jesus' mission that he has put such effort into conveying to his disciples, to the Jewish religious leaders, Mm -hmm. and to the crowds throughout the travel narrative that began in Luke 9.51, and indeed beginning with his mission statement that he announced in Luke 4.18. Right, right. It's beautiful. And while we're going to see later, while our our reformers aren't as sophisticated in this, they're going to be asking some of these same questions. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, that is very cool. Yeah. So Luke is basically bringing the journey to Jerusalem to a conclusion and using the story of Zacchaeus to emphasize one last time the proclamation of the good news to those who were outcast that he announced in Luke 14 at Nazareth. And, and here, that proclamation of the good news even included one who was a ruler and one who was rich. And, and I think... What we need to see here is that Luke crafts a story that once and for all makes it clear that no one can judge a person's status before God based on anything outward. Zacchaeus is a Jewish man. He's a ruler in a gospel that proclaims that the exalted shall be humbled. He is wealthy in a gospel that consistently evaluates wealth in a negative way. He is a tax collector, and perhaps even worse, a toll collector who could have been notorious simply because of his occupation. Mm -hmm. He is a sinner in the eyes of all who saw the interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus, perhaps even including the disciples. And, you know, I think while it is true that in Luke's gospel, uh, you know, we've already seen so many times that Jesus has demonstrated his resolve to seek out all who are excluded from salvation for any reason. Here he pulls out all the stops with Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus 
is one who would have been a total outlier among the outcasts, right? Because as we've said before, as you mentioned, you know, there may have been some of these others who have been looked down upon or may have been socially ostracized for various reasons. And maybe some of the others would have, would have elicited compassion from someone. Zacchaeus, because of who he was, he was a total outlier among the outcasts. He was, he was the most despised among the despised. He was the most outcast among the outcasts. And Luke chooses this man to, to, to conclude sort of the message of, of Jesus in his gospel that, um, you know, God's mercy and God's kingdom includes all who are excluded for any reason whatsoever. And, and so basically here we, you know, we have Luke pulling out all the stops in demonstrating God's determination to right, save right. all who are lost. lost. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, friends. We're back, and we're going to take a look at what the Reformers had to say about Zacchaeus. And so, Christy, take it away. Yeah, sure. So I looked at Calvin and Johannes Brenz and... um, um, let's see, Johannes Spangenberg's in a group. And so there's several different folks that I looked at today. But, um, you know, basically their, their first thing was just a reminder of God can do anything. So the sovereignty of God um, and that we should not be putting restrictions on what God can do. And I think for reformers, that is an important concept, even though we kind of take it for granted today because there seem to be... Um, an idea of restrictions about who could be saved and who, mm-hmm. who, who's, whose sins had gotten so bad that they had no chance of redemption and these kinds of things. And I think there was this, uh, kind of, it's kind of a, a, a criticism at the Roman Catholic tradition there, but this right. really this freedom of God to act as God wants to act. I, I, I would say that's still a problem among a lot of people who have grown up with the idea that you have to do X in order to go mm-hmm. to heaven. Exactly, when you die, exactly. You know? And so the emphasis <laughs> here is that God's impact, God's reach, can affect anyone. That true faith is something of the heart. And can be ignited in anyone, t- even the rich. So while Jesus says it is harder for the rich, it is not impossible mm-hmm. that God's penetrating love can slice um, even through even through the worst of behaviors. Well, right? and that is actually that that passage is actually part of the immediate context for this p- passage as well, because it's a part of right. the, of it, the context exactly. in Luke in exactly. Luke eighteen and that I we jumped about over. That. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Um, the char- so the first thing that um, they kind of are focusing on was the character of Zacchaeus. And th- they kind of wanted to figure out who he was. Um, who, who is this man that had to see Jesus? And how could he, who a tax collector, and therefore one of the most despised people, be upheld in Scripture and why? And um, I, I want to add that they recognize he's not just a tax collector. They recognize this this word that Alan's been talked about, um, and you know, Brenz actually believes that Zacchaeus was a person um, who believed he was so wicked um, that he uh, that would he be eternally punished for it. I mean, just this idea. Calvin so, goes so far as to identify him as not just a sinner, but a man of a, quote, disgraceful and infamous life. <laughs> wow. That there was no hope left for him. Wow. But when he heard of Jesus who could forgive him, he was overcome with the need to see him. Wow. Um, for a rich 
man, says Brenz and Calvin, his behavior in climbing a tree would be unbecoming and people would laugh at him. So here's this guy. He's despised, but he's rich. But then he's also just behaves completely out of character in climbing the tree. So the things that Alan acknowledged, they are also aware of with this character. And it sounds like um, that they're they're presenting Zacchaeus as someone who's sort of hitting bottom in his spiritual life, and he realizes that Jesus is his only hope or something like that. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, the the idea that... He was so wicked that he would be punished eternally, you know, that yeah. he believed that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, interestingly enough, uh, one of the other ones in, in my collection, uh, a Puritan leader. And so you always have to you always have to put a different hat on when you see Puritan leader a little <laughs> bit. Um, and, and, and in this case, you have, you know, you're pushing, you're pushing out another generation on the Reformation mm-hmm. as well. So you're starting to get more rig- rigid confessionalization and... Um, you're also starting to see um, the mo- the beginnings of the Pietist movement. So you've got a couple things that go on here. But he noted that Jesus was able to see Zacchaeus's heart, not just his actions. Mm. So I thought that was an interesting um, an interesting comment. Um, well, the other ones didn't quite go there at this point, but he definitely made a, 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 a differentiation between this idea of spirit. And I I come back to that at the end because. I was surprised, other than Calvin, there really wasn't a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit working in this. And mm. to me, that would seem to be a really big part of the discussion. But moving- yeah, yeah, in my reading of the text, it seems like Zacchaeus, somehow Zacchaeus has already had heard about Jesus. He knows something of, of, of Jesus' ministry and message, mm-hmm. and, and he's seeking him out because of that. And that's, right. that seemed, that's, that's something that I read from the passage. Yeah, and yeah. I would, I would, I'm surprised that they, well, maybe, maybe they didn't have any room in their, in their understanding of Jesus' ministry for something like that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think what is interesting in the commentaries is the kind of back and forth, whether Zacchaeus saw Jesus or Jesus saw Zacchaeus. <laughs> so uh, one of the things the modern commentators are working with, mm-hmm. obviously the story where Zacchaeus climbs a tree to see Jesus, um, to at least some reformers see this as kind of a healing story mm. by which Zacchaeus understood that he was ill or impacted by evil and that in climbing the tree to see Jesus, he enacted a little faith. <laughs> I, I noticed that in your notes and I, I, I kind of chuckled, I had to chuckle a little bit because, you know, I pointed out Zacchaeus' story isn't like your typical uh, conversion story mm-hmm. in the Gospels, and it's like it's it's like people are trying to find some way of working yeah. some sort of faith in you know with with Zacchaeus, right? And and that is that is uh, I particularly got that from the Lutheran folk, the what, who become the Lutheran tradition folks. Although again, they're early on, so we can just say you know evangelical folks. Um, on, on the other hand, others like Lee, remember Lee is later, emphasize the role of Jesus that Jesus saw his heart. Um, and so I think that's a, I think that's an interesting point. Lee also being later though, and being from reformed tradition begins to reflect in his work, some of the more rigid ideas regarding election. Mm. Obviously says Lee, Zacchaeus was one of the elect known by God. He quotes the lost sheep parable. (laughs) And despite his job, he was known to Christ. He was preordained for salvation. Well, surely if Jesus says today salvation has come to this house, then he must be of the elect, right? Exactly. Because only the elect receive salvation. So 
the work of those, what will become, as I said, the Lutheran tradition, put a little more impact on the response of Zacchaeus. Mm -hmm. So, again, some of the same things that the modern commentators are grappling with are some of the things they did. I They don't articulate it as as fully. I mean, obviously, Calvin's going to go the furthest with this with this than the others because that's just who Calvin is. But even then, you still don't get some of these these kind of next level questions. Um, my favorite commentator on this is is Brands again, who says that Christ came not because we first sought him, but sought him out, but rather to seek for us, and not only to seek for us, but also to save us. He came not to save what was whole and in good condition, but what was lost. And so I thought that was kind of the most beautiful statement I, yeah. I, I saw in there. He notes, as others do, that this was a sudden conversion. Mm. Again, kind of going with uh, um, that conversion story, that, that Damascus Road um, conversion. Calvin and others claim um, that Zacchaeus was overcome with the need to see Jesus. As Calvin points out, his faith was not formed yet, but that he was moved mm. by God. As Calvin said, he had a seed of godliness. Well, there you go. There's that. There's that sort of groundwork or preparation exactly. that, that I was looking that I see. Yeah. And that, but that is how, what actually, and I didn't go into the details in this in my comments, but 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 he calls it like a pre-faith is how mm-hmm. Calvin acknowledges it, and he says, look, he's not really a man of faith yet, but there's this something, and he finally claims spirit the work of the Spirit in mm. him. And I was surprised that no one else I saw, and again, this is not exhaustive, was, was talking about the, the work of the Spirit. But, but Calvin finally gets there, and yeah. I, I, it, it, it made me want to kind of dig more into that question, and I, and I didn't get a chance to. But, but why so hesitant to talk about the role of the Spirit in here? Unless it just has to do with that is not specifically... Spirit, Holy Spirit, well, it, in it, the Scripture. There, I right? mean, I think you know, just the way we tend to read it. You know, we read Zacchaeus as this, you know, just despicable person. He's dishonest. He's a cheat. He's a fraud. He's he's enriched himself at the expense of his own people, and he cares nothing about God. He cares nothing about right, anything. Right. We almost see it as this is a curiosity thing. Zacchaeus right. is curious because he yes. wants to see Jesus. Well, that's he's true. He's heard about Jesus and he's curious about Jesus. But um, you know, I must say, in my reading of of the of the of the text and and my preparation, it just really came across that there's something more going there's on. There's something Zacchaeus. more. Yeah. Well, and that's definitely what these folks thought. So, but I, I agree. Some people do see it that other way, right? Mm-hmm. Another point Calvin makes, which was really interesting, is that the action of Christ should be a lesson to ministers. As Zacchaeus was hated by the crowds, he was in a despised profession, but that Christ was not deterred by the crowd, that the salvation of this man took precedence over the pressure of the crowd. I actually, I actually take, took a look at Calvin's commentary, and I re- saw that part, and I, I like that. <laughs> I do too. Um, that Jesus saw Zacchaeus, even though the others did not or would not. Mm-hmm. And that really struck a chord with me mm-hmm. um, and how often, it, you know, it reminds me of, of Jesus not just wanting to hang out with the cool kids, which we've seen before. And yet um, it's just another, it's another part of that depth of Jesus, not. Yeah, he sees the people that other people that overlook. That don't see, exactly. Yeah. 
Um, one of the other themes in this commentary is the action of Zacchaeus to give to the poor. Calvin makes it clear that the action itself does not gain merit with God. It is instead a response to his inner conversion. Quote, it all begins in the heart, but at the same time, our repentance is attested by our works. Um, unquote. Calvin actually claims that Zacchaeus, in giving so fully of himself, um, has become a shepherd, um, not just a lost sheep. Mm, yeah. And so in the end of this section, Calvin reemphasizes that Zacchaeus is not saved because of his good works, but because his conversion was a sure pledge of his divine adoption. Well, it sounds like, you know, that kind of settles the question as to whether or not Zacchaeus was already um, giving away his wealth generously. It doesn't right. sound, you know, it sounds like in, in Calvin's mind, as with the other reformers, this was a result of his encounter right. with Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and that's how they, they read it. Um, another Reformation point that Calvin says in the final part of the commentary is that Zacchaeus' conversion came first because he had heard of Jesus and Jesus' teaching. So mm-hmm. there's this emphasis on, it, he didn't just see Jesus and have to, you know, he he knew of him. Right. He knew of the teachings. He was hungry to be in his presence. Yeah. In other words, Calvin is making a case for the preaching of the word. Surely, ah, big Reformation mark. This big con- Calvin mark too. Yeah. And and yeah, yeah. This conversion would not have happened on its own. And you know there are people out there that you know, especially in the Reformation, the full spiritualists who thought, oh. The- Holy Spirit will come and save me. And this says, no, you have mm-hmm. to hear the word. Has you to have to. Word. So, so in Calvin's mind, that sort of the preparation, uh, what, has, what has prepared Zacchaeus for this encounter with Jesus was that he had heard about Jesus' message before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That he heard about him. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are the main pieces there. There was actually, and I, I copied it over for Alan, a funny, uh, not a funny, but a little detail of, of stuff that's more up his alley on 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 one of the words um, being translated differently and and that Erasmus had taken a kind of a unique um, a unique direction with it but um, so yeah Erasmus <laughs> apparently so in, in the in the in verse the text, nine wasn't it verse nine so in the in that. the text it says today salvation has come to this house or perhaps household because he too is a son of Abraham. Now, house is oikios, is in the masculine, and autos is the word he, he too is a son of Abraham, is also masculine. But, but apparently, you know, there's this some question among some um, what autos um, was referring to. And Erasmus turns it, turns it into something feminine. Salvation has come to this house because it too is a daughter of Abraham. And it's kind of a strange interpretation. I'm not sure where he came by it because, um, you know, there is house or household oikos. There's also the word oikia mm-hmm. for house or household, which is a feminine word, mm-hmm. you know, and if it had been that, then that might be the, that I might see that. But um, because the word that's used for household is masculine, I don't. I just. I don't know where Erasmus got it. I mean, I think clearly too. The last part of verse nine, because he too is a son of Abraham, is referring to Zacchaeus, not necessarily his household. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. But, yeah. But Erasmus had this strange idea that yeah. somehow Zacchaeus' household was a daughter of Abraham. Yeah. Well, and it, it's very strange. 
but I, I, I loved, I love digging into the mm. minds. You feel like you're kind of, it kind of brings you into a different space. So I, I thought I wanted to mention it today because it's one of those glimpses we get of yeah. when you see the reformers doing some of that, it's to watch them do some of the, the early um, Greek work. Because most of the commentary we read um, doesn't, doesn't have all that detail. Well, and, and I, did, I did check that out in, in the commentary. And, you know, he does cite the old translations. And the editors of my version of Calvin's commentary refer that to the Vulgate, basically. Mm-hmm. He's, right. he's, he, Calvin's following the Vulgate, the Latin translation there. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, that is what I have. So we'll Thanks, be back. Christy. Thanks, Hi, friends. We're back, and we are going to talk in our last segment about uh, some of the challenges with uh, preaching this text. So, Christy, why don't you uh, share with us what you're thinking? Yeah, as I was thinking about this, and I think this is because it's a text we really don't encounter that often, um, but we know who Zacchaeus is, and Zacchaeus is brought to us as often when we're small, and so we have this idea, so we, we have a simplified version of this in our minds about this nice little man, Zacchaeus, who gets up there, and and he's been overlooked by the crowd, and, and I think children identify with his small stature, and we tend to, you know, the, we tend to, we tend to child-size it, and Surely. it, I, I think it, it really, um, if, if, impacts us from our ability to kind of get into the depth of this in in the way that we need to that this is a actually not a cute little man up in a tree which is what we see in little kids bibles but rather um somebody that um is really is really despised Mm -hmm. somebody that nobody wants to see somebody that people don't want to be in their presence. I mean, this guy comes, these people walk the other way. I mean, because he takes their money. Uh, this is a guy that, that even if he did something good, as we suggested might be the in the text, no one would buy it because he lives in a big, big house. And he, um, and so he's, it, it's a space of, it's hard to get out of that space. Um, sure. It's hard to, it's hard, and and whether or not, whichever translation you use, it's still hard to be out of that space. And that's what's so amazing is that Jesus, is that Jesus sees through that and sees, um, sees his heart. And so I think, um, I think it has a lot more depth than that. So how do we preach it so that we can get at the depth and get rid of kind of this childlike approach we take to this passage? Yeah, I think for me, you know, as I was working through the passage, one of the things, just the connections with the rest of the Gospel of mm-hmm. Luke really helped me, I think, to see that depth. You know, the, the yeah. resonances that are throughout the uh, the travel narrative, throughout yep. the journey to Jerusalem. I think its but, placement at the end of the travel narrative, right? like you pointed out, is really big. But but even, even the the resonances that go, that, that begin, you know, already at the beginning of Jesus' Uh, ministry, um, you know, I think when when we draw that in, that helps us to see more the uh, the, the intentionality behind Luke uh, placing this story, which is unique to Luke's gospel. Also, it's not right. found anywhere else. That's why we don't hear it that often. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. right. It's unique to Luke's gospel, uh, and why he places this story where he does is is because you know this sort of serves as the 
um, the, the big finale, the big right. finish right. for Jesus' public ministry, in a sense, at least right. at least leading up to what's going to happen to him when he enters Jerusalem. Right. Right. Uh, this is kind of the big finish for Jesus' public ministry, and it's you know it finishes on the Son of Man um, came to seek out and to save. The lost, you know, and, yeah, and, yeah. and that's yeah. been the message of the Gospel right. of Luke from the right. very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Yeah, yeah, and that uh, that that really adds to the the depth when I when I think about it, as opposed to kind of pulling it out. Um, and as I was thinking about it too, I think you know, as we talked in our, in the podcast or in, in the in the earlier sections, um, uh, there's this idea that. Um, um, the other, some of the other people that Jesus saves, you know, we have the, can have this empathy for, and, and I mentioned that earlier, and, but for Zacchaeus, no one empathizes with a guy like that, and so it's this idea that, it's this idea that, that even someone like that is, is, can be saved, that even somebody that seems outside of, of who we can accept as being the poor and the needy and the helpless, and yet, as one of the commentators says, but this is a poor in spirit mm-hmm. person. This is a person that can't climb out because no one will even take pity on him because they can't see beyond what they can't see beyond the physical. They and can't it, see beyond his wealth. They can't see beyond his wealth. Yeah. And you know, it reminds me a little bit of experiences I've had. I've had a couple different experiences with people that have so much money that people don't. They don't talk to them in a normal way. Mm-hmm. It's like, I can't talk to so-and-so because he's too rich. He doesn't want to talk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's just a real need for human connection too with, with these folks. I mean, if someone, um, I, I, I remember I, I've been in, I'm in a, I mean, we're in a smaller area in, in Nebraska here, but we still have people that come in your doors that surprise you. There's still a lot of folks with a lot of wealth and, and so I run into people in, over the years that are good friends with Warren Buffett. And yet people see them and their eyes get big and then they don't talk to him. It's mm-hmm. like they, 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 they shun them. They're, they're not approachable. And I think there's a tendency to do that. No one was going to look beyond this guy's wealth right. Um, right. Um, and his power and instead of engaging him. Or, or I used to work in Indianapolis with a... Um, a woman who, um, I mean, she, her family had so much money. They owned strip malls all all over the city. And, um, yet she felt completely outside of, of community. Mm. Um, she was supposed to, she was because of the wealth and because her husband in particular here was really, really rich. She was supposed to uphold a certain lifestyle lifestyle and aura, but she didn't really have any friends. She didn't really have anybody that. That's, I guess, I guess in my world that saw her, mm-hmm. and I think Zacchaeus was hungry to have someone see him, and then Jesus sees him, Surely. sees him, sees his heart, sees whether or not that's a converted heart or whether he was always acting there. He was suddenly seen, mm-hmm. and I think that's a big, I think that's a, a really important part of this passage, and and all the seeing in there, by the way, that you mm-hmm. pointed out in the text too, I think alludes to this. Surely, I, I agree, yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I also, along those same lines, I, I find it interesting, uh, and this was an idea I got from Joel Green, that, that you know, with, with with Zacchaeus, he doesn't have just one strike against him. He you know he gets he gets a bunch of them. You know he's a ruler. Yep. He's he's wealthy. Yep. He's a toll collector. Yep. He's um, you know uh, he's viewed as a sinner in people's eyes. You know he's just he's just got all these marks against him. Yeah. He's like the outcast among the outcasts. He's like the most despised among the exactly. despised. Yeah. Right. And and. Yet, you know, he, he, if anybody, if anybody, you know, may, perhaps even the disciples assumed that, you know, he was beyond hope, right? right. And yet, and if anybody would have fallen into that category, perhaps Zacchaeus would have. And yet, Jesus came there seeking him out, right. while at the same time, Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. I, I do think there was something... Somehow, whether Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus or had heard something of the message of Jesus, I think there was something there prior to um, the, this encounter. Whether he was actually, yeah, yeah. you know, giving his money away generously before he even met Jesus, who knows? Who knows? But he had heard, like Calvin said, he'd heard. I think he. Jesus. I agree he with that. Knew something there, I agree and I think with Calvin, like mm-hmm. Calvin, had it there. I don't think it was just this. <gasps> There was a preparation. There was a preparation for this meeting because Zacchaeus, you know, I don't think Zacchaeus would have climbed the tree if he had not been really truly drawn to Jesus. I agree. Beyond just the level of curiosity. You know, Herod... Um, not in his role. That, Herod, that was, Herod was was curious about Jesus, but Herod, but Herod didn't. Tree. Herod didn't wait, and Herod waited until Jesus was arrested, right. and Pilate right. sent him to to sent Jesus to Herod so that he could satisfy his curiosity. Herod would not have climbed a tree, exactly. right? Exactly. And 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 you know, Zacchaeus as this. Um, ruling tax collector, ruling toll collector, or whatever, you know, uh, you know, he, he would have occupied a fairly high status in his own world of, of, of those who were engaged in that kind of mm-hmm. occupation. But, oh, um, but, but just simply because of his wealth, it, but because of his wealth, you know, yeah. but he is so drawn to Jesus that he throws all that aside and climbs a tree right. that was unheard of. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I think the comparison with Herod is instructive because there's no way Herod would have, right. would have behaved that way. Exactly. Because he, he had no, there was nothing drawing him to Jesus. Well, as I said, when you have it in its childlike sense right it's always kind of oh he climbed a tree that's so nice oh you know and it, it takes it really it's a sweet little story it's a sweet story and it, it i think that i think that takes away from its its meaning a lot mm-hmm. in, in a way i mean while we do want kids to know the these characters i, I you have to start to pull it out of that that yeah. sense and, and this one this one gets stuck there i don't it does it does well and i think i again i think when you bring in this whole um world's view mindset that jesus has been uh crafting throughout luke's gospel about who god is and what god is about in the kingdom you know this becomes then the the grand finale yeah. of all of that yeah, it does. and um i i think if we can see it that way you know we can yeah. maybe give it the proper um yes. attention that I it agree. deserves i agree yeah thanks alan thank you
That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us. It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ. We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen listen for for the the word. word.